let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for your presence. It, it is such a privilege that we can fellowship in freedom. Um, it's such a privilege that we have access into your presence, O oh God. We have access into your presence to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, we are here for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to know you, to fellowship with you. So God, answer us um, to the degree of our hunger and our thirst today in the name of Jesus. Your word says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We ask you, O God, to fill us to the depth of our hunger and our thirst in the name of the Lord. Holy Spirit, help me this morning. Um, make preaching easy and hearing the word of God a sweet delight. Thank you for your grace, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, today I'm going to start um, a mini-series on the subject of contentment. Contentment. I have, um, I have titled the message this morning, Contentment, the Key to a Life of Balance. Contentment, the Key to a Balanced Life. And I'll be dealing with this for a few weeks or so. Amen. You know, um, this year, uh, the Lord has given us a mandate. He has said to us that 2014 is a year where we are being released to take charge. Hallelujah. We know that um, the, the Lord is putting us into places of authority. We know that he's expanding our vision. He's given us bigger dreams. He's opening doors of opportunities to us. Amen. Like the Apostle Paul said, uh, that a door has been opened to me, but there are many uh, adversaries. Hallelujah. So even though the adversaries are many, we are killing the giants, amen, and we are moving forward. But it's important to understand that, um, it is it, that contentment is key to having a life of balance. It is not the will of God for your life, for your life to be out of balance. He doesn't want you to have a heart attack, high blood pressure. He doesn't want you to have anxiety or worry in your life. But we need to learn the secrets and the key to living a life of contentment. Now, you know, from the world's viewpoint, uh, contentment is seen as uh, largely a negative attribute. It is seen largely as a negative thing. We are all familiar with the so-called rat race. Everybody running around trying to acquire as much as they can. As many degrees as you can, as many investment portfolios as you can, as many possessions, as much money, as many directorships, or what have you as you can. And the viewpoint of the world is to get as much as you can for as long as you can, and then can all you get and sit on the can. <laughs> so get as much as you can, as much as you can, as long as you can, as quickly as you can. And then can everything and sit on the can. And whoever um, uh, has the most at the end wins. That's the world's viewpoint, isn't it? So with that kind of viewpoint, why should I be contented with what I have when I can get more? If I get contented, I will lose my edge in the marketplace. Should a Christian be any different or are we just part of the rat race like everybody else? We might say, yes, we are different, um, given that God has given us, um, uh, we, we operate by a strict code of ethics. We have things that we do and things we don't do. But, but can God expect us really to have different priorities from the world and embrace this viewpoint of contentment? You know, I began studying this by looking at the dictionary definition of what contentment means. And to be honest, it really doesn't help the Christian um, to embrace a life of biblical contentment if you go to the dictionary to explain what contentment means. Because according to the Collins Dictionary, it defines contentment as being satisfied with things as they are. A willingness to accept circumstances. Accepting one's life situation. You know, when I looked up synonyms of the word contentment, I actually found the word complacency as an appropriate synonym for contentment. 
So from a secular viewpoint, contentment is a state of mind which can only be achieved when you've either achieved a level of success that enables you to be financially independent or you are lazy or complacent, an underachiever who doesn't know any better. And unfortunately, as Christians, we have adopted this same viewpoint as the world for what contentment means. We have, we have adopted the same paradigms and largely the same values. But you know, the Bible um, has a different definition of what contentment really means. You know, it's very important to understand that um, the meaning and usage of words change over time. So when the Bible says you should be contented, um, it is very important that you do not draw um, your understanding of what that means from the current dictionary definition. I'll give you an example. You know, the King James Bible was um, translated from the Greek in the year 1611 and was translated into English. Now, how many of you know that certain English words that were used in 1611, we might use them today, but they have totally different meanings. Take, for instance, um, when the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit or the ministry of the Holy Spirit being our comforter. In, um, in John 14, 16, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now, when that word was translated from the Greek in 1611, it was the Greek word parakletos. And um, it was translated to the English word comforter. But at that time, in 1611, the word comforter was, was drawn from a Latin word and it bore a very... Um, it was actually drawn from a Latin word, the Latin word fortis, comfortis. Fortis is Latin for strength. So comfortis means to feel with strength. And in 1611, that was an accurate um, interpretation of the Greek word parakletos, to feel with strength. But when a 21st century person opens the King James Bible and Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. Um, is this person thinking the Holy Spirit will fill me with strength? What is the first word they think about? Bele, sorry. Console you. A consoler. So they go to pray. They are depressed. They go to the Holy Spirit. and They have reduced the creator of the world to somebody who pats you on the back and makes you feel better. Even though he's somebody that comes to fill you with strength. So when you are depressed and you go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And he says, get up. I am the strength of your life. Hallelujah. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You start thinking, this can't be the Holy Spirit because... Uh, are you with me? So it's, it's very important. And that's why we say to people, don't go to the dictionary for to explain the Bible. Let verses explain the Bible. Or go get something like an amplified version that, that amplifies it and, and really shows you what the Greek is saying. Like if you go to the amplified of John 14, 16, it says, God will, uh, he said, I'll pray the Father and he will send you another counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. Amen. So when we're looking at what the Word of God defines by contentment, we need to go back and see what it means from the perspective of the Word. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to spend some time there this morning just laying the foundation of this. Because the Bible teaches that contentment is the secret to a life of balance. And God wants us to live a balanced life. 
Philippians chapter 4. I'll start reading from verse 10. This is the New King James Version. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me hath flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Everyone say, I have learned. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we go back to verse 11, it says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know, the word content actually comes from a Greek word, otakes, which means to have sufficiency, to be tranquil, or to walk in peace. The word indicates independence of external circumstances. It was a word which spoke about inward sufficiency rather than a lack of a desire to achieve outward things. This word was a technical term in Greek philosophy to denote a wise man's independence of circumstances. Where your inner state is independent of things happening around you. I'll say that again. Your inner state is independent of things happening around you. It doesn't mean you don't have a desire for a thing or for progress in your life, but you have an inward sufficiency. Your joy in life is not determined by what you have or what you don't have. I'll say that again. Your joy in life is not determined by what you have or what you don't have. You have an inward sufficiency. You are able to live a life where your joy is independent of circumstances around you. You know, in contrast to the world's view, Paul teaches here that our contentment should not be based on what we have or we don't have. Um, and we can be contented and have peace and an inner sufficiency in any situation we are in. He said, I have learned to be content. So contentment is not based on what you have, but on what you know. I'm going to take my time with this. Because this teaching is probably very counterintuitive. So contentment is not based on what you have, but Paul says my contentment is based on what I know. A more literal translation would be Paul saying for myself, I have come to learn contentment by instruction, by practice, and by experience. You can learn how to be contented. And contented means how to live independent of the things that are happening around you. Even though you are moving forward. Uh, are you with me? You can be dissatisfied yet content. You can be working on changing your circumstances yet still be at peace and live in joy. Are you with me? Biblical contentment must not be confused with inactivity or laziness. You know, this is Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul himself, who talked about being able, being content in all situations, Paul 
in Philippians 3.12 said, I have, it's not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. So this is not something that's sitting on his backside, right? Paul says, I press on, forgetting those things that are behind. I strain forward, one translation says, for those things that are ahead. And I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul is saying that as he's straining forward, yet he's still operating and living in inner peace and joy and living a life of balance. Living a life of balance. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the fact that the Apostle Paul actually wrote this letter to the Philippians in prison. He was actually in a prison, in a Roman dungeon when he wrote this letter. Now, when you read the whole, the whole book, if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know this guy was in prison. Because the very first verse says, upon every remembrance of you, I give thanks. So he was in prison, but the prison was not in him. He was in prison. He was going through difficult circumstances, yet... His heart was at peace and his blood pressure didn't rise. How is this possible? Paul says it is possible and we're going to learn how. Because in order to live a life that pleases the Lord, we must understand that as we move forward, we must live in joy. You see, the, the problem with the lack of contentment, and we will unfold this, over time, is that when you fix your joy to your circumstances, you will never live in the present, you will always live in the future. You will mortgage the present for the future, because you know, I can't be joyful, I can't be at peace right now until I have got that contract, or I have got that new car, or my children are in this school, or I have, you know, broken the threshold of millions by 45. Are you with me? The problem with that is that you are always living for the future. And God has only given you the present. The present is more, is the closest experience you will have to eternity. He has only given you the present. The present is where the work is done. The present is where life is lived. Our marriages are out of balance. Our relationship with our children is out of balance because we're, 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 it's the goal I'm after. Paul says, as I go toward my goals, I have learned how to disassociate my joy and the balance of my life from real goals I am moving to achieving. So whether I have much or I have little, my inner peace, my inner atmosphere is independent of my circumstances. We must learn how. You know, in this chapter, Paul outlines what I believe to be the required steps to live in a life of contentment. Bear with me. We're going to develop this. Today's foundation. Verse 6 of the very same chapter. I believe he outlines the steps. I know if you, if you implement the steps... You will enjoy the results. Hallelujah. That's what I love about the word. It is of faith that it may be by grace. The end of the promise will be sure to all the seed. Everyone can walk this way. But you must follow the steps. Don't try to circumvent it. You must follow the steps. Paul begins. And you must accept that this is a command of God. Not an advice of Paul. See, take, take it, receive this as a commandment from God. He begins by saying, 
be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It says, do not worry or be anxious about anything. This is not advice. This is a commandment of God. Whenever you worry, whenever you are anxious, you are sinning. Yeah? It is not a natural byproduct of being a human being. As a spiritual person, as a child of God, you have the commandment of God to worry or be anxious about nothing. All worry and anxiety is a manifestation of fear. All worry. Analyze it. All worry and anxiety is a manifestation of fear. Fear is always about your future. Have you noticed that? You are never afraid of the present. Fear is always about your future. Fear is always a picture of a possible future you have accepted, which you have painted in your imagination in cooperation with the devil. All worry is a manifestation of fear. All fear is about the future. Yeah? All fear is a picture. You can see it. The school fees are due in a few months. You can see the picture. Your children are going to the school. You know, in my kids' school, they have a, an ID card. They don't renew the card until you've paid. So you're seeing the picture. You are taking your children to school. It's a, now, what month are we in? When June? When is the school fees due? Okay. So I'm sitting down in June, and there's a picture in my mind. But, but it's, it's color. You are seeing yourself going to the school with the children. And you get to the gate, and you try to swipe the card. And it makes a big noise. Uh-uh. Okay? Now, now, it's not the Lord painting that picture. The devil has used your imagination and you have accepted this picture. You have received it and it begets fear, doesn't it? Yeah. It's fear, fear. And then now, you, you begin to worry. Now, when Juno, it's, it, so worry is always a manifestation of fear. Fear is always about a future that you have a picture that has been painted, that you have accepted. A future that has been painted for you by the devil and you have accepted it. So the Lord is commanding here that as a Christian, you must not allow your imagination to embrace an outcome that is different from what God has said about you. When it says don't be worried about anything, it's saying this. You must not allow your imagination to embrace an outcome that is different from what God has said about you. If you allow that, you are sinning before God. It says, be careful. Be anxious for nothing. So the implication of that statement is that you must know what God has said about you. And you must control the pictures you paint in your mind. You must control it. You must control it. You are not at liberty to imagine what you want as a Christian. You don't have that liberty. You are only allowed to use your imagination to embrace a picture of what God has said. If there's any contrary picture, you must refuse it by replacing it with the right picture. You are not allowed to review the options and be thinking about, I'm just reviewing the options. No, don't review that one. It says, don't be worried about anything. This is where it begins. 
It says, but in everything, everyone say everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. It says in everything. Everything. Anything that could potentially worry you. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make that request known unto God. You see, you can only make prayer with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is when you believe that what you have asked for has been answered. Because if you give me something and I receive it, I will say, thank you. Yeah? You, you, know, you don't say thank you for giving me the gift you haven't given me yet. Are you with me? That's called a hint, a strong hint. You know, people come to me, Pastor, I really like your tie. Thank you. It's like, why are you thanking me? I like it now. I'm thanking you. Don't thank me yet. I ain't giving it to you yet. Are you with me? But, but you know, he, he says, make your request with thanksgiving. So at some point, while you are making that request, you believe that he has answered your prayer. So you thank him. Yeah? You believe you have answered your prayer, so you what? You thank him. Now, let me make a little side journey here. When we pray, because this is key here. We need to analyze this. When you pray, why do you believe that God has answered your prayer? What is the basis for you believing that God has answered your prayer? Why does God answer our prayers? Let me have some options here. Why does God answer our prayers? Why? Let, let us get to the bottom of that. Because he prayed. He's already done. He loves us. Gone by his word. Mm -hmm. Because of faith. Because of your faith. You, you know, we, we really need to get to the bottom of this. And, and we need to... Um, Really dig below our assumptions. Because, you know, I began by saying or earlier and a few minutes ago, I said, um, you must begin by believing what God has said about you. Yeah? Otherwise, you're not going to get to that place of contentment. We're saying this is how it begins. Be worried about, um, about nothing. Okay? Now, now, a lot of people have been taught that God answers our prayers because of our faith. Yeah? But, but I actually feel that that is inaccurate. Because, I, I want to show you this. Because um, your faith doesn't actually affect God. Alright? God is the same when you believe, before you believe, after you believe. Your faith is important. But God is not affected by your faith. God actually doesn't answer your prayer because of your faith. Okay, and I'll, and I'll break that down in a minute. You know, in the book of 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says we shall cast all our worries, all our anxiety upon God because, because what? He cares for you. So the reason why the Bible is saying go quickly to God and cast your worry on him is because he cares. He loves you. Alright? So you need to believe or understand that God loves you. You know, in 1 John 4, 16, John says we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So we know God loves us, but we believe it. We believe we are secure in the love of God. Before we can walk this path of contentment, your heart must embrace the reality that God is in love with you. Your heart must embrace that reality. Because that's the only reason why when you go to the Lord and you ask him for something that you need, you can trust him and thank him. Because you know he loves you. Are you with me? Your heart must be convinced. That the Lord loves you. Because 
His love is the only basis on which he answers our prayers. You must allow your imagination to grab hold of that. Paint a future in your mind with that in view, that you are loved by the Lord. If we believe in his love for us, we will throw all our anxieties on him and trust him to take care of them. You know, look at um, Romans 8, verse 32. Our hearts must be established in the fact that the Lord loves us. He loves you individually. His love for you is not based on what you have done or what you haven't done. On how holy or how much of a sinner you are. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. God so loved who? The world. Do you know who's in the world? We are in the world. The worst sinners are in the world. God so loved the world that he what? Is there faith in that statement? It's after he has given, right? That whoever believes. Are you with me? So you must understand. Your heart must embrace. You must be imagining. Your imagination must embrace the fact that God loves you. Because when your imagination embraces fear, and it's embracing a future. You know that picture doesn't have God in it. Have you noticed? Anything you are afraid of or anxious about, that future that is being painted, God is not in the picture. You don't see God there. You just see the thing that the devil can do. That's the only thing you can see. Now, you and I don't know the future. But we know if we know that God loves us, then when we are painting a picture of the future, we will put God in it. And believe you me, any future... With God in it is bright. It is bright. Unless you don't believe God loves you. Look at um, Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also? Everyone say also. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, do you know we can take that verse of scripture and you can build a future of contentment with it. Do you know that? A future that is, that is devoid of the impact of circumstances because you know where you are going to end. If God did not spare his son, but he gave him up for you. How will he not also with the same son that he gave you, give you everything else? It's saying believe that. You know, when we talk about faith, or a lack of faith, what faith does, really, is when you cast your care on the Lord, your faith, is what helps you leave it there. Your faith is not what gets God to work on your behalf, but your faith is what helps you to leave it there. Because what people that don't have faith do is this. They cast, they make the prayer. They come for the prayer meeting, right? Yeah? Most of them do. Come for the prayer meeting. Say, Pastor, please pray for me. And I say, come, I will pray for you. And then we make the prayer. We say, Lord, concerning this job, we need favor in the job. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Hallelujah. And as they are walking out of the door, the devil throws that thought. A thought is a picture. You are not going to get it. And they think, man, look at my life. <laughs> so what they have done is they've cast the care on the Lord and they have received it back. Your faith is what keeps it with him. Your trust in him to take care of it. And what is our faith in really? Is our faith in the ability of God? Do you know most people don't doubt the ability of God? Do you know that? I mean, I don't think any Christian will doubt the fact that an angel can appear anywhere or that God can do anything. Do you know what our faith or our, our doubt is in? Our doubt is in, in whether God really loves us enough 
It is our faith in the love of God that needs to be developed. It's not our faith in the ability of God. It is our faith in the love of God. That God actually sees you as a person. God knows what is going on with you. And God absolutely loves you the way he loves Jesus. Do you know if I believe that God loved me the way he loved Jesus, even when I'm going through difficult circumstances, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of evil. Why? Because I know that the creator is with me and he loves me and he's going to take care of me. So Paul says, don't be worried about anything. Don't allow your imagination to embrace a picture that is contrary to what God has said about you. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, cast that care upon the Lord. Trust in the fact that he loves you. Trust in the fact that he loves you and begin to thank him. Begin to thank him because the one who did not keep his son with his son will give you all things. Let your heart, let your imagination embrace that picture. That's number one. Number two, he says when you do this, verse seven, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. <sighs> Do you know that you cannot walk in peace in the midst of a storm? You have to be kept in peace. Notice, you didn't say, oh, um, um, cast your care on the Lord or, you know, don't be anxious of nothing and then... Make sure you walk in peace. No, he says the peace of God, God's peace, will keep your heart. Your heart will keep beating the same way it should beat. Because something will keep that heart. Your physical, your metaphorical heart will be kept. If you do this, your heart will be kept in this thing called peace. The Amplified says the peace of God will garrison and it will mount God over your heart. It says the peace of God will what? Will garrison. It will mount God over your heart. It will mount God over your heart. A garrison is a body of troops that are stationed at a particular location. That's a garrison. Like, it's not one guard. A garrison is a body of troops that are stationed. That's it. Go to that place. Guess where this... What is this garrison called? Peace. They say, hey, go over there. Go and surround that heart and keep it. Wow. Go and keep it. Is it therefore no surprise that David said... The Lord is the strength of my life. He is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In whom shall I be afraid? He said, when I get up in the morning and I see an army, my heart will not fear. How is that possible? There's a garrison. There's a garrison. There's a garrison. Because he has chosen by his decision that he's only going to allow the word to form his imagination. So his heart is kept at peace. You know, in most cases, the answer to our challenges is wisdom. Do you know that? The answer to our challenges is wisdom. But wisdom can only be received in an atmosphere of faith and peace. Do you know that? Look at um, James chapter 1. Let me show you this. As we bring this to a close this morning. Wisdom will only be found in an atmosphere of peace. And you can't have peace in the midst of a storm unless your heart is kept. And that heart will not be kept unless 
you have pushed out fear by embracing what God says about you. That's where your fight is. Because the wisdom you need will only be found in an atmosphere of peace and faith. Look at James chapter 1 this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at this. It says, my brethren, verse 2. Now we begin to understand this, don't we? He said, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, you're thinking, what planet is this guy on? Count it all joy. Because his joy is not affected by the trial. I mean, the circumstances he's going through is not affecting his inner peace and joy. He says, count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And what? It will be given to him. So if you ask God for wisdom, he will do what? Give you wisdom. Why does he give you the wisdom? Why? Why does he want to give you the wisdom? Why does God give you the wisdom when you ask, when you ask, when you ask him? Because he loves you. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give you the wisdom. And the reason why he will give you is because what? He loves you. But then he goes on. But let him ask in what? Faith. No doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will what? Receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now, why does God give you things? Because he loves you. But he says, let him ask in faith. You know how people read this? They read it this way. Let him ask in faith. Um, for he that doubts is like the wave of the sea. For let not that man suppose that God will give him anything. That's how people read it. Uh-huh. She, she said, do you hear what she said? She said, what was that? <laughs> now, I gave her something, but did she receive it? Somebody else received it. I threw my glasses in her direction, but did she receive it? No. It says that the person who, who lacks wisdom should ask God, and God will give it to him. But if he doesn't ask in faith, he's not going to receive it. So God can throw something to you because he loves you. But you, if you are looking in another direction, you won't receive it, would you? The problem is with our hearts. You won't receive it because, you know, you're still worrying about it. And while he's speaking to you about the solution, your heart is not in peace. Because it is in the atmosphere of peace that we receive wisdom. Are you with me? God says, if you ask, I will give you. But you need to be in a place of faith. Trust in my love. I push out the fear from your heart with my love. Let your imagination be built on my love. Let your heart be garrisoned by my peace. Because it is in that peace that you receive the wisdom. That you receive the wisdom. Believing in God's love for us keeps us in a place where we can receive what he gives. When all around you is falling apart, you remain in peace. Because you are confident. You are not wavering with the wind. And you are stable enough to receive his wisdom. Which is readily available to you. You know, Isaiah 30, 15 says, In returning and in rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. What is your confidence in? Your confidence is in the love of God. Hallelujah. Your confidence is in the love of God. Your quietness is a heart that is tranquil with peace. Because in the midst of the storm, you know that it is well with you because your God is with you. And you have asked him for wisdom. So he gives you wisdom. He gives you wisdom. Where there is anxiety, there is haste. Where there is haste, there is no wisdom. Hebrews 4.3 says that those who have believed have entered into rest. 
Isaiah 28, 16 says, He who believes does not make haste. Haste is not in terms of speed of execution. Haste is in terms of the turmoil of action that comes out of fear and anxiety. Let's do something quick, quick, quick. We haven't thought it through. We have no idea what we're doing. Let's do it. Just do something. Let's do it. Hallelujah. Oh man, I need to bring this to a close this morning. Look at Proverbs 19 verse 2. Paul says, I have learned. I have learned by instruction and practice. You need to practice this. You need to practice this. I have learned by instruction and practice. Look at Proverbs 19 verse 2. He says, also it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Verse 3 says, the foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. It says the person who hastes will sin with his feet. And when you walk, into ha- walk with haste, it will lead to more problems. But then the Bible says that when, that, when the, the more problems arise, the person now starts complaining. That look at God, I mean, why did my business crash? We'll not start blaming God, even though the Bible says it is the foolishness of haste that has led us in this path. And haste is always the result of a lack of peace in our hearts. 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has torment, and he who fears is not perfect in love. He who fears is not mature, is not secure in the love of God for them. So we must begin with creating a security in God's love in our hearts. When there's confidence in God's love, there's peace. And when there's peace, you are in a place to receive his wisdom. We're in a place to receive his wisdom. Contentment is the secret to a life of balance. Contentment means living a life that that is independent of the circumstances in which you are walking. It means living in joy and peace, even in the midst of challenges. And it comes by knowing certain things, by learning certain things. Number one, we must learn to push out the fear that creates anxiety in our hearts. We must create a confidence in God's love. We must be confident in the truth that if he sent Jesus to die for us, then with with him, he will freely give us all things. We must embrace the love of God in our hearts and walk with that confidence in his love. We must understand that the things that you are going through right now are temporary. God is in your future just like he's in your present. And if you keep walking with him by faith and you trust him, you will receive the wisdom you need because he loves you. You know, um, in Hebrews 13.5, and I'm going to end with this. Look at Hebrews 13.5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness, without greed. Because greed is also a manifestation of fear. Let your conduct be without greed. Be content with such things as you have because. Everyone say because. Because contentment is not about what you have, it's about what you know. Are you with me? He says, be content, irrespective of where you're at. Live, ir- live independent of what's going on. Let your heart still be in joy because for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if I am going through the worst circumstance right now, if I embrace the word, I will know that this is temporary because Jesus himself said this they didn't say it on his behalf he himself said it 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even if where you are at is the result of your own sin and foolishness, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will bring you out of it. Your future is going to be greater than your past because I am in love with you. And I love you because I choose to love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, this is my most favorite verse in Scripture. The Amplified amplifies it and tells us exactly what it's saying. He says, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless or let you down, nor relax my hold upon you. Assuredly not. Build your imagination around that. That is the truth of the word. I will not. In the Greek, there's a triple negative in that scripture. I will not. I will not. I will not. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. It doesn't matter how dark your world looks right now. A light is going to dawn in the darkness. Because Jehovah is in the darkness with you. Let us embrace the word. And that's why Paul can say, from the dungeon of a Roman prison, I have learned in all things to be content. This is where it begins. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful that we're on a journey with you. And therefore it is well with us. We embrace your peace, for through our actions we push fear out of our lives. For we build a picture of a glorious future from your word. And we thank you because from the peace in our hearts, the wisdom of the Lord arises concerning the next steps to take. I pray for this congregation this morning. Male and female, fathers, mothers, single people, married people. People who are going through pressure in their businesses. Lord, let this word bring strength into their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, let courage come. Let their hearts be filled with strength today. In the name of Jesus. I command the, the gates of your hearts to be open. I say, let the King of Glory come in, who is the King of Glory, the Lord mighty in battle. The Lord fights for you and you hold your peace in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let joy rise in the heart again. Let the garment of praise envelop your people instead of the spirit of heaviness. Let the oil of joy replace mourning in the name of Jesus. Let hope arise again. Let faith in your love arise again by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Lord, receive this, O God. We thank you because you are our God, and therefore it is well with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.